Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health Right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. From the Apostrophe Podcast Network. One, two, three. They all come from the unknown north. Talent, drive, and pride worth paying for. But just because they're above the 49th parallel, it doesn't mean we shouldn't celebrate them just as well. So give it up to these good nuts, because our self-promotion sucks. And if they all went away, we sure would miss them. Canadian Star System. Hello and welcome back again to the Canadian Star System, a podcast where we speak with some of Canada's brightest stars and they shine their light on other Canadian stars that we should know more about. And by the end of it, all of us are star tanned, except for those of us of Irish heritage who are star burnt. I'm your host, Steve Patterson, a very proud Canadian, but believe you me, I'm ready to see some other places again real soon. And with me, as always, is my producer and co-host, who I'm never sure where she is because she's always moving. Assumingly, she's a fugitive. Diana Francis. Hello, Diana. Hello. If that is indeed your actual name. It is. It is now. It's what I'm going with. <laughs> Presently. Presently, now, yes. I never know where you are. It looks like you might be at home because I, I can see your Canadian screen award. <laughs> yes, strategically placed. There Would this is. be a bad time to tell you that in two weeks I'm going to be in Mexico for a month? Probably. Yeah, yeah that's probably always a that. bad time to tell yeah. me or any listeners that. No, I wish you all the best. Mexico is one of my favorite places. But as I've just mentioned, I burn uh, just thinking about it. I've said the <laughs> word Mexico. And I've already burned my face because of my uh, Irish complexion. So have fun. I hope you uh, get sunburned badly. Now, <laughs> let me ask you this. You've always got a lot of stuff going on. You're actually going down to Mexico to do, to perform, yeah. to do shows. So it's not all, all fun and games. You're always writing show ideas and treatments and Bibles, which I don't, still don't know what that is. It sounds blasphemous, but I'll allow it. If you could write the great Canadian novel, what do you think it would be about? And what would you call it? Oh, what a great question. Thank you. I would like to examine the part of the Canadian psyche, which is 
why are Canadians so beloved around the world, yet mm -hmm. Canadian geese are hated around the world? <laughs> I find this a dichotomy that's fascinating, and I would like to explore that in a novel. Now, what would you title your, your great Canadian novel? Uh, goose shit. <laughs> goose shit. Yeah. The great Canadian yeah. novel. Yeah. <laughs> How to, how to, what about how to kill a Canada goose? Because then it would be like, yeah, you know, that sounds like Dave Barry wrote it. That does sound. Yeah. Like it. And what about you? What would right. you, what would your great Canadian novel be? I mean, I haven't thought that much about it, but I think it would be, I would just be called Sorry. And it would just be a series of, it's like a serial apologizer. He just goes from place to place apologizing for things, whether he's done them or not. I like it. He or she. It's probably going to be a he, let's be honest. <laughs> Well, it's probably not. They've done the things to apologize for. They just won't apologize. It's a he and a she, and the woman's constantly telling him to apologize. Let's call her Nancy. Anyway, <laughs> that brings us to our first guest today in a roundabout way, who is an actual prolific author with dozens of published books and articles and essays to his credit. He's also a prolific musician with performance origins and tours dating back to the 1970s, I found out. He may be best known musically for his iconic band, The Real Statics, but also plays with his own band, which he named after his own self. And he is a publisher of the independent paper that just keeps growing and growing, The West End Phoenix, which I am happy to be in the delivery neighborhood of. Still, I feel like he might give it all up for one shift with his beloved Toronto Maple Leafs. Here he is, Dave Bedini. Hello. How's it going? I never toured in the 70s, by the way. You didn't tour in the 70s? It said you started playing in 78. I think we though. played in the basement in Etobicoke in 78 and 79. That counts, man. That According that to Wikipedia, to that counts. <laughs> yeah, our, our tour stretched from Kipling to Islington, I think, in 1978. <laughs> well, again, it still All right, counts. I'll take it. South Etobicoke origin. <laughs> you have, I mean, you, you've had a long, successful career. It's branched out from playing music to obviously producing music, collaborating, and, and up to present day with publishing the West End Phoenix, which is this growing concern. You've got all those books in between. Let me ask you this question right out of the gate, because this was in your editor's note in the most recent edition of West End Phoenix. You talk about Stomp and Tom, and I forgot, I heard heard about this, but I forgot that he actually took a break mm -hmm. from music because he was so upset with how he was being treated by the industry. Could you elaborate on that a little bit before we dive in here? Yeah, he was, I think it was 70, let's call it 78 springtime, I believe. He found out CNE were booking their act for the fall. So Tom, yeah. Tom's management, Tom was more or less his own manager, but contacted the act and said, hey, you know, I'm available. I'd love to play. And at this point, remember, like Tom was one of Canada's, like, you know, he was one of the, the, the biggest draws in the country, you know, sold out Massey Hall, so on right. and so forth. So they, they got back to him and they said, um, listen, Tom, we'll book you at the band shell on Maritime Day. And he felt slighted by this. And when he look, went to look at who the CNE had booked, programmed for the fall, it was all American act. So Tom held a press conference where, and you can see this, there's bits of it on YouTube where he shows up with a cardboard box. And in that cardboard box are his Juno Awards. And he takes them all out and he <laughs> says, I'm giving back my Junos in protest of the way the Canadian industry was treating Canadian musicians. And just to show that I'm not capitalizing on this publicity, I'm going to withdraw from public life, performing life for a year. And that year ended up lasting 10 years until we wow. crashed his birthday party in 1986. 
in Belnafad <laughs> and gave him a petition that we had about 80 people sign, friends of ours, asking him to come out of retirement to play. He was so astonished that, you know, that kids were interested in him because he thought that the world had sort of passed him by and that the country had passed him by. And I wrote the story for Nerve magazine. It, uh, it was a tabloid, Toronto tabloid in the 1980s. And he framed it, put it up on his wall, and then just decided that maybe he should try to come back. And then he did. And it was beautiful. It was nice to be partly responsible for getting, you know, convincing a Canadian legend that what he what he had done had mattered in, in art and music in this country. That is everything that we're trying to do with this show in a nutshell that that's two stories of heroism right there that's a canadian taking a stand and saying this is not okay how you're treating canadian artists as compared to american artists and then for you not everyone thinks of birthday party crashers as heroes but i do in this circumstance because you brought well, them back. I, yeah I, I was in i was in ireland in 85 i went to trinity for a summer and my friend howard Druckmann, um the writer uh, made me uh, a cassette tape one side of the cassette tape was the band the other side of the cassette tape was Stomp and Tom, and I wasn't really—I didn't really know much about Tom. I'd forgotten about him, anyways. And 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 he gave me this tape. And so whenever any Dubliner would come to my apartment at Trinity and ask me what Canada was like, I would just like put on the Stomp and Tom tape. I was like, this is pretty much what it's like. And because Tom had songs that talked about you know all the capital cities and talked about you know snowmobiling and stuff, That's right? True. So when I came back, I was like, this guy is really interesting. And he obviously helped me understand who I was when I was in a different country for the first time. And then I found out that he was in exile. So it was just like, I really just wanted to tell him the story, to tell him how important it had been for me. At first, he was very suspicious of us. When we showed up at the, and his birthday party was in this old wooden community hall. Sorry, where was it again? It was in Belnafad, which is right, is between Guelph and Halton Hills. Okay. You know, it was one of those classic, like snowy winter days, February. And when we pulled into the little driveway in front of the hall, you know, we could hear the sound of like voices and music inside. And there was a guy outside having a butt. And we asked to stomp and Tom in there. And he said, yeah, I'll go get him. And Tom came out. And when we told him why we were there and handed him the petition, he asked where we were from. And we said, we'd driven from Toronto. And he said, oh, you come all the way from Toronto. You might as well come in and have a few drinks. <laughs> <laughs> That's how we got in there and his suspicion eventually eased and we ended up becoming friends after that. So you didn't even, you didn't know him before you, you Never weren't invited him, no. to that birthday. You, wow. Oh my God. Isn't that the greatest? That is the greatest Canadian story <laughs> leading to a Canadian storyteller that I, I like that. What a, what I want to take back my is. goose idea. This is the great Canadian story I want to write a novel about. Well, you're not going to write it. Dave is a writer, yeah, an actual published enough. writer, Diana, and it's his story already. So let's not get into plagiarism. Okay, <laughs> let's jump right up to present day. But a nice shout out to Stomp and Tom. And uh, thank you for bringing him back into the scene when you did, because he is a Canadian treasure. Now, let's jump right ahead to the uh, West End Phoenix. I, You know, we, I saw you a few years ago at a Writer's Trust Gala and joked that, you know, in addition to being a musician, a musician and author... Now you were going to be a publisher. And I'm like, he's really got the trifecta here of lucrative Canadian. Exactly. <laughs> it's flourishing. It's this this grassroots movement, really, that's flourishing. And it's hiring independent artists, not just writers, but a visual artists as well and telling stories. So can you talk about how where the West End Phoenix is now and where you'd maybe like to see it? Because it's not just a local paper. It's it's distributed everywhere. It's great. We have readers right across the country and right across the province and 
And in fact, you know, we had so many subscribers in the East End that we had to get volunteer delivery people in the East End. So that was really great. I just think, you know, the origins for my idea for the paper came during my uh, year and a half in, in Yellowknife, working up there and writing up there for the newspaper and just seeing, you know, the hold that the Yellow Knifer, the city newspaper, has with people who live in Yellowknife. And coming back to Toronto and then realizing that all the community newspapers had been bought by Touristar and Metroland and had all the content gouged out of it. I just kind of thought, like, what if something artfully crafted and beautifully written tumbled up on your doorstep once a month? Like, how would people react to that? And I, you know, me and a couple of friends went out and we knocked on doors a year before we published our first issue just to see if people would be interested in this sort of thing. And we sold 800 subscriptions before, you know, we actually decided to do it. But it was so interesting that I don't know if you've ever done it or whether you've canvassed for political candidates or whatever, but those moments where you get people to step beyond the threshold of the doorframe onto the porch to talk to them, mm -hmm. it was fascinating for me. And, you know, the beautiful thing about it, too, is we were talking about journalism, right? So we right. would have these amazing conversations about storytelling and about print and about art and about writing and about the community and stuff. And once I started to have a connection with those prospective readers, I knew that there would be an appetite for it, for sure. You know, there, there's a quick pattern erupting in our short conversation so far that you you are not afraid to knock on doors. I just show up. That's right. He's on the step again. That's it's the great. man from Rio Statics, Danny. <laughs> I did have a few of those when we were doing the web thing. I did have a few of those where people would say, I think that's Dave Bedini on the porch. What does he want? So that was pretty funny. I would read a story called Bedini yeah. on the Porch, by the way, in case you're wondering. I would absolutely read that. Now, we talk about – this is something that I, I find interesting. When you hear journalism these days, it's taken on a bit of a different yeah. feeling, and even independent journalism, because – God, there's a lot of people declaring themselves a journalist because they write a, a blog online or something. What does journalism mean to you? Because it's not always the big international stories either, right? You're getting grassroots, truly independent individual stories, but that is still journalism. There is still a process to getting that story and including the facts with it. Even though we have a print publication and you know, part of the charm is it's a thing that you can hold in your hands, our heads aren't in the sand when it comes to what journalism means in 2122 because you know our instagram account is really really lively and it tells community stories too and it's not really it's not traditional journalism but i think in a way it is journalism you know that respects the you know the tenets of that art form and and tries to be responsible it, but it, it does exist in a different way i think those mediums you know whether again whether they're blogs whether it's youtube whether it's you know instagram whether it's twitter i i mean i think if they're done the right way they can kind of uphold the standards that journalism has for many years we also you know we want to we want to be a print newspaper but we want to live in the modern world as well so we think there is storytelling that exists in those platforms that can support what we do i mean i think the problem with you know fake news and the consequences of that kind of I don't want to call it citizen reporting because citizen reporting can be really effective on a certain level, but it has, you know, and this goes back to Donald Trump and a lot of other kind of fascist leaders, but it go and it, that exists certainly in our country, but it goes back to, you know, it, it winds back into a sense of people thinking of journalism the way they think of lawyers in a way, you know, that, you know, giving them a really, really bad reputation because they're demonized, right? And that doesn't help us. And I always say, and one of my pitches for the people supporting the paper is strong journalism means a strong democracy, you know, and a strong economy too. That's also been borne out uh, in terms of 
analytics and the way, um, you know, the, you know, when we're able to freely express who we are, you know, in the free press, we are just more confident, and more empowered to be active economically in, in, in our society, too. So it's just good. It's just a good thing to have. And it's certainly important to have in our communities, especially during pandemic. I mean, it was a 15 minute city, right? And we became so aware of the things that existed outside our front door, as opposed to something that exists, you know, on the other side of the ocean. What do you mean by a 15 minute city? That's Jennifer Keys, Matt. Everything that you need should be accessible to you within 15 minutes of where you live in the city. I see. Thank you for asking, Diana, because I wanted to act. I was nodding my head like I knew. I'm like, does that mean I should only remember things for 15 minutes? Well, you've because got that I'm, down. I'm, you got that down. I've got that down. I'm, that's about 10 heavy for me. This was a really interesting story that I found doing my own journalism on you, Dave. So well, this is a true. real this is a real deep dive. I learned that there was a story in Vice about West End Phoenix, which is already pretty weird. Mm-hmm. Then it went further that you received a donation in Bitcoin for the paper that was worth $70,000 at the time. I'm fascinated. What do you do with that when you get a, a Bitcoin donated? I'm fascinated by the juxtaposition between this cryptocurrency to support a print newspaper. And I'm just fascinated by the Bitcoin concept. Can you take manageable bite-sized chunks? Can you slice it like an actual nickel? What do you do with uh, a Bitcoin? Well, right now we just kind of sit on it, honestly. It's a little bit of protection for us, okay. which is kind of nice. Okay. The Bitcoin came to us, the Vice story illuminated this, but it came to us from a donor who had contributed to the paper in the past. Right. When I asked him about if he wanted to uh, re-up his donation, he said, you know, you could donate again, but I have these Bitcoins. And when he first told me he had a Bitcoin <laughs> for us, I had to Google, what is a Bitcoin? <laughs> and do I want it? Right. And then when I, you know, then we, I did realize could be potentially, you know, really valuable to us in terms of supporting us and giving us some insulation financially. Uh, yeah, we, we told them we, we would. And again, I think that's also part of being an independent print newspaper in 2021 with, you know, cryptocurrency being part of our orbit. We feel like we can travel in a lot of different lanes, you know, not necessarily ours. And we can exist again, kind of in the modern, in the modern world that way. So, and I found too, like a lot of the digital world, ironically, has been really supportive of what we do. Because one of my theories is a lot of people who've done really well in tech are the last generation that remember the newspaper at the table. And I think it's partly for nostalgic reasons that there is that support of us. But I also think they do see value in, in journalism, in independent journalism as well. Isn't there also studies that have shown that the tangible act of reading a newspaper, you actually read more of the content and retain more of yeah, the content than you do when you're reading? And I definitely find it myself. Like I used to get, when I lived in Vancouver, I used to get the, the, the newspaper delivered to me all the time. And it was part of my morning routine to have my tea right. and toast and read the paper. But now I find that I'm really just sort of scanning headlines. And it's very, you know, you don't kind of, you're, it's almost like your brain can't quite it's it's so exhausted by the amount of screen time that we all have that to read your news on your phone or your computer is it's exhausting. There's also something about you know horizontal versus vertical reading in terms of turning the page. Like turning the page is important mm. because it it sort of allows your consciousness to breathe a little bit when you're following a story. When you're turning that page, there's that moment of suspension that just like it's it's just a healthy way of reading. It's a supportive way of reading as opposed to endlessly scrolling, scrolling, which we all, listen, let's face it, we all do it, I do it. But there's something deeply, deeply satisfying. And I'm sure in terms of retention as well, it has a bit of a deeper fit within your, within your consciousness, for sure. 
I will say this though, mm -hmm. Dave, when I'm reading a, a, a paper and it says story continued on another page, <laughs> not, not for me, it's not, I'm not, no, I'm not is. turning through more <laughs> pages to get to the end. Of I read story. a newspaper article in an actual newspaper that said to read more about this story, go online and read the rest yes. of it. And yeah, I was yeah. furious. I was furious. Mm -hmm. I was like, no, I want to read it now. I'm here. You have me engaged. Don't make me yeah. go back to a screen. Yeah, no, I don't need a paywall. I, if I start to yeah. read a story, I want to see the rest of it, which is another thing that the West End Phoenix does great. I love the West End Phoenix. We're, we will, you know, get all the info about that when we with this out there. I want it to top 100,000 subscribers by the time this episode is over. But I want to talk a little bit about writing in general too, Dave, because we've got you. We don't often have a writing brain like yours on. And hockey, because those two loves have come together. You've written several not just books about hockey, but you work with Hockey Night in Canada, now Hockey Day in Canada, doing some of the opening essays and music, etc. Why are you so passionate about hockey? And this is a sort of a Canadian-based podcast, so maybe this is a dumb question, but, <laughs> but you really, you bring out the passion of hockey. Why is it something so easy to write about for you? I am, um, well, first of all, I found there's a, a, certainly a lot of trappings with hockey culture, and there's a lot that's, that needs to change for it to be truly healthy. But I've always found the hockey community to be really accepting of me. They were certainly, they've, they've always been, uh, you know, accepting of the band. You know, in 1992, our publicist at the time, Tyson Parker, called the Toronto Maple Leafs. And we just released, I think it was our second album, Melville, and talked to the publicist at Maple Leaf Gardens, uh, uh, Bob Stelic, and said, hey, what if the Rio Statics came and sang O Canada to open a Leaf game? And they thought about it and thought, oh, yeah, that might be kind of cool. So we ended up going down there. And it turned out that the day that we were booked to sing O Canada was the night before my wedding. So <laughs> we had all rented tuxedos for the wedding. We were like, oh, we have these tuxedos. We're singing O Canada. <laughs> so we all wore our tuxedos. And um, it was the greatest two days of my life, obviously. But we went down there, and there's there's no experience that has ever matched. You're behind the boards, and there's sixteen thousand people there, and everybody's milling about. And then Paul Morris came over the PA and said, "You know, we'd like you to rise and welcome the Rio Statics and sing our national anthem." And all of a sudden, like you know, the great cathedral of my youth, Maple Leaf Gardens. You know, whether it was seeing Rush or watching the Leafs or whatever, or Canada Rush '74 fell completely still and we were out on that little foamy blue mat with the blue maple leaf in it at center ice singing the song and it was um in our tuxedos <laughs> from there you know i just realized that i think the hockey community doesn't get asked to kind of participate in other realms of our kind of our, our culture and so you know that that music kind of hockey marriage re was really fruitful and continues to be this day because of Hockey Day in Canada and stuff too. So all of that was just kind of fodder to write about those experiences. And, you know, when I started to write about hockey, a lot of hockey books were basically the Gordie Howe biography, the Bobby Orr biography. Like it, they right. weren't really, you know, England, there was great football writing in England. You know, Roger Angel, Thomas Boswell, great baseball writing in America. We didn't really have that literary tradition in Canada. So it was, you know, I felt like I, I wanted to try to, to try to move that forward and do something different. Well, it, it comes through, man, in your in your writing, and you could tell that you're an active participant, which I believe helps as well. Everything you write about, you're an right. active participant in, and and th that's interesting because there's lots of writers who write novels about things they haven't done, right? But you, your writing is you're in it. It's lived experiences or living experiences, 
and I'm going to bring this up, Dave, and you can choose to you can choose to not address it if you like because it's been a while. Can we talk Gordon Lightfoot? Let's talk Gordon sure. Lightfoot because you guys did the cover of the wreck of the Edmund That's Fitzgerald. Right. <laughs> From that was born the book about Gordon Lightfoot, the man, the music, and the world in 1972. And the issue was that you had asked for permission to write this cover. Uh, not, I'm yep. sorry, not write the cover, perform the perform the cover, and we're told Gordon Lightfoot will never listen to it because he'll get too angry. And that set you off on a mission of writing to Gordon Lightfoot about why he was angry. And I, it was never fully resolved no. to me. Is are you guys okay? It's are you? Do you still have a beef with Gordon? Is there a cage match coming up? It's been ten years, Dave. Well, what can we, well what can that we book in a weird way is like is like a 200 page apology to him. For me, what <laughs> okay. happened was I just a little. Okay. I'll just fill in a blank there. Um, after Gord, after Gord, <laughs> said, his, his Gord's manager said, because we said we recorded this version. You know, we'd really love Gord to hear it. Uh, for Gord to hear it, his manager Barry Harvey said, um, the late Barry Harvey said, I won't play it for him. I'll just piss him off. So we went to Ireland <laughs> on a tour, and I met a guy in a bar in Cork, and I told him to having drinks. I told him the story, and he said, "Wreck of the Emmett Fitzgerald." Uh, Lightfoot didn't even write that. That's an old Irish melody. He stole that from an old Irish melody. <laughs> so I came back to Toronto, and uh, the Toronto they were interviewing us for the album. They asked us about the record of Fitzgerald, and I said in the star, "Well, you know, Gord didn't even write that. It's based on an old Irish melody, which some drunk guy in a bar had told me." And so, that, <laughs> so that really pissed Gord off. So if you read the book, the beginning of it is me basically sort of saying, "Dude, like, you know, I'm sorry. I, I was, you know, I tell, I give the whole backstory, and so." Yeah, so I really, I th when they asked me to write a book about him, I didn't, I didn't really want to write a biography of Lightfoot, and I said to my publishers, I can't write a biography of him. He, he doesn't like me. He won't talk to me. And then I, I got, I came up with the concept of the concept of basing the book around a series of letters to him, in which I kind of imagined right. his life. So that's how that kind of worked. Can I just say that, you know, we are a very Canadian podcast, but this might be the most Canadian interview because so far <laughs> we've got not only the legendary Rio Statics, we've talked about hockey, Gordon Lightfoot, Stomp and Tom, and a book that's basically an apology. That's right. <laughs> yeah. The 200-page yeah. apology is my great Canadian novel. I'm telling you right now, I'm stealing that title. <laughs> I think you guys should just pack it in after this one. We've obviously reached I mean, oh, this is, it can't get more Canadian. No. We're going to peak. Yeah. No, unless you start sweating maple yeah. syrup, I don't know where we're going to go from here have you resolved things with Gordon no I've never met Gordon no? I've never and I, but I don't know you never did no 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 I don't no never did I don't have to either it's okay I mean I can be a fan of his okay. and I know from friends that Gord after the book came out Gord walked around with a copy of it and would point out to people what was wrong about the book like all the <laughs> inaccuracies you know he has my full and utter respect, and I, I love his work so much. I mean, it sounds like a sequel. It sounds like know. you need to write a sequel. Oh that's uh, an apology you, for the you know, inaccuracies. You, you're right, and, <laughs> and you figure you'd figure by now I would just show up at his house, right? Like, uh, would, right? So, God. I mean, oh, yeah, deliver his paper or something. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, exactly. This, what a way to bookend this interview. Start with Stomp and Tom, end with totally, totally. Lightfoot. Can we talk briefly about Rio Statics before yep, we bring on sure. our, um, the guest yep. that you're bringing on for us today? So everyone that knows the Rio Statics knows it's an iconic Canadian band. My introduction to you guys live was with The Hip, I believe at Maple Leaf mm -hmm. Gardens, the venue. And you guys, you know, toured a long time, disbanded for a while, then rebanded. I understand you guys are appearing again and touring again. Is that true? A little bit. Yeah, we played a couple of weeks ago and we have some shows coming up, I think, in the new year. Definitely. What was... 
because you spoke eloquently, of course, you spent a lot of time with Gord Downer mm-hmm. with, and with the Tragically Hip. And in that day of kind of the sort of the maximum zenith, I think, of, of Canadian indies in the 90s, how has Gord's passing affected you and do you still feel it to this day? The fourth anniversary of his passing was just this week. And yes, yeah, I think about him a lot, all the time, really. And I often think about, you know, even when I'm being creative, like kind of think about would this amuse him, you know, would, what would he think of, you know, <laughs> what would he think about this? And I'm working on a documentary now about the 1972 Canada Russia series. And of course you are. And Gord was, you know, Harry Sinden was Gord's godfather and stuff. And and Gord did aspire to actually write a book about about the players on that team. Yeah, so I think a little bit about, I kind of bounce ideas off the angel a little bit, you know, to sort of have that talk with him. And so much of his legacy, you know, when it comes to our awareness of residential schools, that only gets more and more present in our lives and becomes more and more profound. So it's real tribute to the power of his of his work and who he was as a person that we're not necessarily always only returning to his work but we're continuing to kind of be collectively active in the kind of work that he established and that's no greater tribute than that i really wish i had gotten to appear at news aid as you are gracious enough hey, you're to, on the you're on the shirt by the way yeah. oh thank you man well, that's I a collector's to... item patterson wasn't there was it, it was a different steve patterson. Shirt, yeah. sure. i've taken the liberty of rewriting the canadian national anthem to what i think it should be and it ends with shout outs to gordy i'm still trying to pitch it i don't know that they're going to let me do it before a leafs game <laughs> that's what i aspire to but real statics i'm sorry i, I melded that question that's into funny. a tragically hip question but well, with the Rio Statics, that was that was a band that and Diana were talking about this just before you got on. That was a band that didn't didn't have a lot of radio play, but everyone that loved the Rio Statics loved the Rio Statics. Like it, it, it almost I don't want to compare it to, but almost a Grateful Dead following of we are going to go everywhere they are because the live experience would be so unique every time. You guys would go off on a on a jam in the middle of the song, and if and that's what concerts are to me. That's why you go to see a live show. Do you think that as we come out of, hopefully, God willing, out of this pandemic in late 21, early 2022, that there will be a return to the concerts that the people want to see where, where the bands are the classic rock bands or indie bands that make the live experience a unique experience that you want to go to, as opposed to a lot of the music of today, which is pre-programmed, which is uh, you know exactly the same as you'll hear it on the radio do you think there'll be a return to that, the kind of the older school tradition? The, I don't think the bands will change. And I don't think music will change. And I do think there are, there's, you know, there's shows before the pandemic, there were shows happening every night where bands were doing exactly the sort of thing that we did. I think what will change probably is how we react as and how we behave, or maybe that's the wrong, wrong word, but how we are as concert goers and, and as fans. I think the bands will always you know, take you, take us out into the stratosphere and do amazing things on stage. I think especially in Canada too, it might uh, make us uh, a little bit more grateful, you know, and aware of being where we are and, and what we're seeing might loosen us up a little bit too, I think as, as concert goers, as fans. And I think we, but we could all, we, in Canada, we could use a little bit of that because it is audiences. I mean, listen, we've had incredible audiences, super supportive, but we're stiffer in public settings than uh, most places around the world, right? So it'd be great to just okay. kind of loosen the shoelaces a little bit, right? And get us jumping a bit more. And I even noticed, I certainly saw that on News Aid 
you know, where people were immediately dancing from the beginning of the show and it was a right. three hour show. So it was, it was a marathon, but so I think that's really going to help us uh, a lot. I can't wait. I just, I get goosebumps thinking mm-hmm. about going to a big concert again uh, yep. in a good way. Diana, did you have something there? Oh, I was going to say, cause I went to news aid and thoroughly enjoyed myself. And it was like, just such a pleasure to see so many great Canadian acts. Some I knew, some I didn't know, but I mean, the hearing Hawksley Workman and the Rio Statics sing my favorite song in the world, you two's bad. Just, I was like, yeah, I'm good. I'm good. I'm done. I've peaked. Yeah, I'm, wrap it up. Oh, so beautiful. We'll be right back with more Canadiana and Dave Bedini after this. Hey listeners, if you're inspired by today's guest Dave Bedini and his local newspaper The West End Phoenix, it's probably because you enjoy your news coming with a personal touch. But if you're like me and you barely have time to read the headlines, let alone a whole newspaper, then you need the new Steve Patterson Front Porch News Recap, where Steve comes directly to your house to recap the news. Wait, I will? You sure will. What better way to find out what's happening in your community than to open your door and find Steve Patterson on your stoop, waiting to tell you which politician is embroiled in a scandal or which high school is having a bake sale to raise money for new lacrosse uniform. It's all the details of the actual news mixed with the gossipy fun of a nosy neighbor. Uh, this sounds like a lot of work for me, Diana. It sure is. And if you choose the premium subscription, Steve will not only recap the news, but he'll also recap your Facebook feed so you don't have to read your crazy Aunt Rita's conspiracy theories about how the UN is using 5G technology to depopulate the planet. That actually does sound like a good idea. Rita is crazy. But again, what if I don't want to do this? You don't want to support your local community, Steve? Well, that's a shame. Hey, no, no, no. I didn't say that. I like my local community. I just don't have time to go door to door reading them the news. Dave Bedini did it. And he's a musician, an author, and a newspaper publisher. Are you trying to tell me you're busier than that, Steve? Yeah, that's what I thought. The Steve Patterson Front Porch News Recap. Because it's about time Steve did something useful. Hey. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. 
Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. And now, back to our conversation with Dave Bedini. We're going to do a few quick questions here. This is a this is a section that we call quick questions. Quick questions. Well, very original. Yeah, I know. We didn't have time to think of a better name. And then we're going to have you introduce our feature guest, if you don't mind. So here we go. Quick question. This is a yes or no. Do you think that this season, 2021, 2022, will be the season the Leafs win the cup again? Dave, yes or no? Uh, yes, Steve. Okay. <laughs> I, knew, I knew you were going to say that. I knew it. It's a devout Leaf fan. So, you know. I wish you the second best. I'll put it that way. Name a Canadian artist or band touring today that you would like to tour with that you haven't already. I really like the Avalanches a lot. I really like Super Furry Animals a lot. I don't even know if they're touring. Yeah, those are two I really like a lot. Which of your multiple passions and occupations that you're doing right now is the most rewarding to you? Hockey, music, or writing? Oh, probably music. Music. You do it. You do it with others, right? Like that's... Writing is right. so solitary. I love it, right? But, it really but uh, a great day for me is, you know, spending a couple of hours, you know, working on a story or an article and then going to jam, right? Because you get both ends. Yeah. You know, one's really quiet, one's really loud, one's really antisocial, one's really social. True. No one told me before I started writing books that it would be mostly me by myself. <laughs> I wrote a book about, you know, being yep. a parent and the fact that I had to actively not be parenting during that entire time about writing about parenting was the was a that's the height of irony to me. You've been responsible for so many great quotes, but I know that you're such a well-read person as well. Can you name one favorite quote from a fellow writer that you think about a lot? A fellow writer, my friend Gord Cumming, who's a writer of lyrics for the Woods Are Full of Cuckoos and the Lawn, once said, once wrote, "Avoid the devil's well-laid plans, but don't suck up to God." Ooh. That's a lyric that Ooh, I, I like that. Oh, I that love it. Me. That is deep. I'm gonna write that. I'm gonna write that on the wall in blood. <laughs> uh, these final two are fill in the blank, and then and then we're on to our uh, our next guest with you. Hopefully, if you can stay, please fill in the blank here, if you would, please, Dave. The Canadian star system is unnecessary. Unnecessary. Okay. Oh, we've not got that one before. And that's a good way to end this podcast's run. Thanks, Dave. And living next door to the United States is like... Smelling a fart every day. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, we have not had that answer before either. Dave Bedini, thank you so much. Not that you're leaving us. You're just going to introduce the other Canadian star that you brought with you today, please. But thank you so much for all, all those answers. I wanted to have Selena Martin on because I've, you know, been a a massive fan of her work and and she's a friend of mine too i've been lucky to get to know her just an amazing songwriter and a really you know someone who is constantly challenging herself musically in terms of 
Well, really, in every capacity, you know, sonically, compositionally, you know, just in terms of the, you know, the tilting view and angle of the of the music, and someone's all who's always exploring new genres and trying to figure out how that might sort of vessel through their sensibility, and a handful of really classic records that those records that I will always play to people who don't know them, and like interviews like this where people talk about you know who you're listening to, who should we listen to. And it's great that you're you're giving us the platform to do that. And also she's in the south of France. So <laughs> sure, let's let's see what it's like there. Let's go to Selena Martin. <laughs> Hi. Hello. Hi Selena. Hey, hey everybody. Hey. Look, I'm talking to Canadians. How fun. <laughs> so much easier Simba, than talking Simba. to French people. <laughs> yeah. Out of respect, because you're homesick, we won't do this interview in French. We usually do them in English and French because it's the Canadian no. star system, but we'll Very stick to good. English for today. Selena, I can't wait to dive into this. I've gone down the Selena Martin wormhole in preparation for this. And Dave's <laughs> Dave's absolutely right. It trans it does it transports you to a different place, which is what music is supposed to do. And you're always adding new things and experimenting with new things musically, which is to be admired. And we can't wait to talk about what you're doing now. But first, in my deep dive, I noticed that back in 2010, you did a cover of The Spirit of Radio. Now, when Dave Bedini did a cover of a Gordon Lightfoot song, it didn't go well for him. And Gordon hasn't <laughs> talked to him since. How are you with Getty Lee? Is there a war or what? Well, thanks to Dave Bedini, I got to meet Getty Lee. Oh, beautiful. Dave is the reason I recorded that cover, actually, because... I used to hate campfire sing-alongs. I know this isn't very Canadian, but I hated. <laughs> no, okay. uh, I hate it, like because every time people would go, "Hey, Selena, you're you're a singer, do so," and I was just like, "No, just no, no." So then I just wanted the thing to end. I wanted it to end, so I would I would always start doing that Rush song because Rush nobody can <laughs> sing along or play right. to, <laughs> so right. it ends it. It kills the camp. That's amazing. One time I was on Toronto Island with Dave Bedini and our mutual friend, um, Dale Morningstar. And we were maybe a little drunk and possibly a little high (laughs) in uh, in Dale's studio and started recording that. Or I started playing that song. We were just jamming. I started playing that song together. Dave's like, Selena, Selena, do the Rush song. So I did it. And then little did I know, Dale had recorded it. And then... He sent it to us and I was like, this is the worst thing I've ever heard. It was slow. It was so like we were high. It was so slow. It was terrible. I hated it. And Dave's like, Selena, you have to cover this. And for some reason I did, but I made it like massively different. It's not anything like the original. It's its own thing. I had my friend, a great guitarist and arranger, David Celia, help me like make a cool sort of acoustic guitar chord arrangement that I could actually play. And it's one of the songs I always play when I do solo acoustic shows. It's a, it goes over well. And I met Getty. So I met Getty because Dave knows Getty. Of course he does. And Dave got me and a couple of other friends like tickets to a, a big rush show at the Air Canada Center. And it was amazing. And backstage passes. I usually think I I don't get all, you know, gushy and and fan fanny. Like I'm not a fan of people. I don't go all starstruck, but I did. I couldn't Getty comes up and says hi 
And I'm like, ha, 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 I, I'm, I'm Campfire Getty. I'm Campfire Getty. <laughs> and he, he just, he had a perplexed smile and it was very um, kind. And then I couldn't explain, like, I, I killed... I kill campfire sing-alongs with your song. I didn't want to say that. So I, it was just very strange. I didn't think there was a person that could tell more Canadian stories than Dave Bedini, but he brought on the only person who has more Canadian stories. Campfire uh, Getty is... Uh, why isn't that a canned pasta right now? Campfire Getty. <laughs> Forget Buble soda. This is the greatest. Now, okay, let's go to present day. You're coming to us from yeah. the south of France. Mm-hmm. How did that come to be? And what's, what is that like compared to Canada? I know you're a little homesick talking mm-hmm. to us here, but there's lots yeah. of great things about being there too. What took you there? I was here like 30 years ago as a student on an exchange. And at that time I said, I'm just going to come back and live here someday. It took a long time. Mm-hmm. And the catalyst was actually an offer of a part-time day job in the south of France. So I, ha- okay. I have a flexible part-time day job here, <laughs> thanks to my brother-in-law. And it en- enables me to explore, well, pre-pandemic, I got to tour lots of uh, parts of Europe. Not really here, because the south of France is sort of a cultural wasteland, as far as I can tell. But (laughs) I mean, I'm also a sunburner. I also have Irish heritage. I should not live in a resort town (laughs) where where I I don't like the sun. I actually don't like it. And also, it's filled with rich people with Lamborghinis. This is not my scene. But because of the pandemic, I actually started playing shows here, because I couldn't go anywhere couldn't else. Travel, right? Yeah. So, so I because of that, I actually discovered a bit of a cultural scene here, and I'm very grateful for that. Your origins, your Canadian origins, from mm. what I understand, you were raised on a farm in the Ottawa mm-hmm. Valley. Is that true? <laughs> it sure is. Well, g'day, g'day, g'day. Yeah, I'm yeah, from yeah. the valley. Well, no one would lie. No one would lie about that. I don't think my wife <laughs> was born in Renfrew. So shout out to the Ottawa oh, Valley. Yeah, big shout now, if out. If you were raised on a farm, I assume that means some early hours, some yeah. some farm work, some good, honest, hard work. Is that true? Yeah. 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 So, children are child labor. That's right. Labor on farms. <laughs> yeah. That's right. It hasn't worked out for me in the city with my daughters yet, but hopefully they'll start doing some stuff too. Now, do you find that that ethic that's installed in you growing up on uh, on a farm, has that helped you with your art, your music? Because you're obviously, you work very hard at things. Your music takes a long mm. time to do because it's layered. It's experimental. What do you mm. think? Do you think that there are some more artists out there on the farm that might hear this and go, I'm going to do that? I'm going to move to the south of France. (laughs) (laughs) Well, first I moved to Toronto and lived there for 25 years. Right. Little pit stop. Yep. Living in the Ottawa Valley, there's lots of things I miss about it and things that I loved about it. And I loved our farm. And I'm very sad when my parents sold it the same year I moved here. So I don't actually have that farm to go back to anymore Mm. at Christmas time or anything. But But I did always feel like I there was some I had to get out that there was something else in the world like to explore the Ottawa Valley. You know, that Alice Monroe story, who do you think you are? I've heard, I've heard of it. I haven't. Okay. That, that title always felt like Ottawa Valley to me. Like you can't, who do you think you are? Like, don't, don't stick up 
above the crowd. Just you just be right. normal, 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 normal. And mm. I would never really was normal. So <laughs> <laughs> which I think is great. And that's, you know, the, I, uh, by the way, I think that extends beyond the Ottawa Valley and permeates throughout Canada. And it's one of the things we talk about here is that there's some great Canadian artists that uh, aren't great at self-promotion because we weren't taught that way to say, I do something great. Let me show you how I do it. That You just do it. And if and if you don't get a champion along the way that, mm. that helps get that out into the masses, then yeah. that's it is a bit of a disadvantage, I think, in the Canadian psyche. I'm curious about this, about the self-promotion aspect that Canadians not all Canadians lack, certainly, but you know, you're, you're sort of taught, and I'm taught the same way. Just you know, go do your work. Don't tell anyone about it, and uh, that's that doesn't work great in, uh, in in promoting your art. I don't think. I think also in Canadian music, anyways, it's such a struggle to be heard and to survive that kind of having that extra energy to be drum beating self promoters. It, it takes a lot. It takes a lot of bandwidth that is just, it's really hard to find when you're, you know, just trying to stay above water in terms of economic and artistic survival, right? So, and, and I must say too, like we, you know, we, the Reostatics, I think we did come out as pretty hot in terms of self-promotion, but we learned quite early on that wearing Mountie uniforms uh, across Canada on a tour <laughs> Man, mm-hmm. those jodhpurs, like, they are not, those are, they, they're awful. So, so <laughs> we tried that and then just realized, yeah, there has to be, a, has to be a better way. <laughs> they, they do lead to a lot of moose toe, those jodhpurs. Oh, <laughs> I want to talk about collaboration. You've obviously both collaborated with each other a lot. I do find that whenever I speak to Canadian musicians, they generally are collaborating yeah. at every level. And I think that's a great thing. Is there any ego to overcome in doing a collaboration with someone that might also be seem your competitor at other times in trying to to sell the music to? Or do you not even think about that? That's questions for both of you. I think Dave, who, as you mentioned, I've collaborated with, is so good at being so welcoming to collaborators. There's no competitive vibe whatsoever. It's just like love. Dave, yeah, thank you likewise. for all of the stuff we've gotten to do mm-hmm. together because it just feels warm and open and do what you want and let's see what happens. And I wrote a couple of hockey songs thanks to being invited by Dave. You know, it was fantastic. In some other aspects of Canadian music culture, there is a competitive thing, and it, I think it takes away from all of our growth, trying to compete with each other. I think collaboration is the key to the growth of all the artists. I love that answer. Yeah, in a country where it's really tough to be regarded with the same amount of respect afforded other industries, the nature of that really, really small, small piece of cake, like it does foster a certain unhealthy competitiveness and pettiness, really in certain elements of arts culture and music culture, for sure. You know, my answer to you about the Canadian star system, I think there is, you know, I think there is a Canadian star system in music, but I think it's really, really unhealthy Hmm. because the same five acts are the ones that are walking home with, you know, million dollar SOCAN checks. There's this cluster of musicians at the top and then there's nothing in the middle and there's and it's crazy right. busy along the bottom and you know i've always advocated for 
and I haven't done enough work really in this. And maybe when I get a bit older and I have more time, I will. But I think there has to be a more equitable dispersion of funds because I know some of those people who get those million dollar royalty checks and it's just not necessary for them to have a happy and healthy life. They're fine. So, you know, they <laughs> right, don't need right. more. But whereas it could make a huge difference and launch other totally. artists, right? That's right. And allow artists to just get to their third album or to get to that tour that could really help see them bust through. But as it as it is now, a lot of musicians, you know, live from grant to grant to grant and they just die on the vine if there's not that kind of support. And especially in this past year, which uh, past year and a half now that we're coming out of the collaboration had to largely take place online, not the same mm -hmm. experience. I mean, I read something that you had said in an interview, Dave, about Canadian artists might be the best group to see how to get through this pandemic because we've been figuring out how to live yeah. off of basically nothing for years. And I think it was, it was a good point. Uh, so, you know, I don't want to use the word pivot, but there it is. We had to go online to do things that we would have done live in rooms. There wasn't the chance for that live performance. And I'll tell you something, as a comedian, you think it's tough performing music to a computer? Try doing comedy for your apps. <laughs> I've been doing shows for laugh emojis yeah. for 18 months. I'm sure, um, Steve, yeah. So I see what you're what you're saying, but has there been a, a positive that you, that you guys have found in the past couple of years through this pandemic that we can bring out of it? For me, I don't know. I'm really happy with the record I've made. A distance en, fr en français. Thank you. Thank you. Now we can get a grant for this podcast. <laughs> I just couldn't remember how to say it in English. A, a distance, you know. The, um, From remotely. a distance. Yes. Remotely. Jeez. <laughs> yes. Oh, la vache. That's a thing you say in France. Oh, la vache. Oh, the cow. Cow, so, yeah. oh, the cow. <laughs> uh, it's true. So like a whole different type of recording happened for me that I never had to do before. And it was quite an interesting learning experience. And the end result is something I never would have made had I had regular studio sessions. You talk, Selena, about using a new immersive sound technology called Dolby Atmos. Is yeah. it possible to talk about that without getting too technical? about it is this something that's that's game changing for musicians that have to do things remotely it's not necessarily about remote or not actually okay. it's just a new um type of mixing and mastering software that i just found out about it a couple of months maybe three months ago four months ago when we were finishing what i thought well, i thought we were finishing still still going the mixes <laughs> for this record and my mixing engineer audio engineer in toronto during one of our video sessions, he started talking to me about it. And I was like, what? You can do what? Hmm. This is perfect. Like you can take different sounds instead of just having stereo mix in right and left ears. If you've got a proper surround sound system, you can have sounds swim like fishes. They go from here <laughs> and they go down here. And then you can have some up here and down here. And you can, you can place things. Like you can say, I want the bongos to be sitting at my feet in the back of the room. It's more like being in a movie theater wow. and you can hear it with headphones as well, but you right. have to do a regular stereo mix down for vinyl, for example. Right. And what did, what did you say it was called? Dolby? Atmos. Atmos. Like cool. atmosphere, I guess, Atmos. Yeah, my audio engineer, Alex Gamble, told me about it and then I started researching it and I was like, we ha this is exactly 
exactly what this record needs. Because I've been working mostly on my own here in this apartment, making sounds and making sounds and trying to make arrangements with just all kinds of sounds. Like I don't have anything that really sounds like a guitar on this record, even though I wrote all the songs on a guitar. So it's all these different sounds and trying to arrange them together in a way that's exciting and still musical and still like an, a fun thing to listen to. So I just thought, oh yeah, this is perfect. Like we can we can put this guy here, we can put that there. And then that means room. there's room for this guy over there. And then uh, it's really fascinating. And the visual, when you look at the software, it's three-dimensional. Like there's a little head, which is the listener. And then there's a pool, there's a box around the head and you can place things physically. Dot, like this is where that goes. Mm. This sounds incredible. And it sounds like something that has to be, truly be heard to be to be believed. I've never seen anyone so excited to talk about something since Diana talked about watching the Rio Statics and Hoxley Workman doing her favorite <laughs> song. So this has really come full circle. Listen, we've taken up a good chunk of your day. We've covered a lot of ground. It's actually turned to night already in France, I can see. By Selena's <laughs> Selena, where can people pick up your work right now and next? Because when is this album going to be finished? You know, it's probably never going to be truly finished to your standards. I can see that. Yeah, where can people go to get some Selena Martin? Oh, they should go to Bandcamp because they can actually buy the record. I'm not a fan of streaming services. I know everybody uses them, but we don't get paid. So Fair enough. if you want, it actually really is really helpful if people <laughs> buy music. Yes. It's really it's really <laughs> helpful. It's a lot of work and a lot of money and a lot of time to make a record. Yeah, you started you started like Bandcamp Fridays, right? No, Bandcamp started oh, Bandcamp okay. Friday, but I started by Music right. Friday at the beginning of the pandemic trying to rally people to when they were supporting restaurants right. and hey, let's all go buy from this place on this day, which was probably silly because that place would have been crammed on one day and then had no business <laughs> any other day. <laughs> but I I started by Music That's Friday right. with a bunch of colleagues Bandcamp Friday was once a month. And I said, no, why not every Friday? Once a week, yeah. Why a song for a dollar? Like yeah. just something. Can I ask maybe a dumb newbie question when it comes- Have you not heard the questions I've asked? <laughs> <laughs> when you buy an album off Bandcamp, mm. do I, the buyer, now own that album in the same way that if I'd gone to Sam the Record Man and bought like an old school album- or is it like iTunes where I've kind of just leased it? Because I've lost a lot of my music on iTunes that I thought that I bought. And then iTunes has changed a whole bunch of things. And now mm. I'm like, I don't know where any of my music is anymore. Bandcamp, you can buy a digital version of a record. So you just download. You can also, it depends on what the artist has put up there. The artist, you can also buy physical stuff too that will arrive in the mail. Oh, nice. If the artist mm. is supplying that. You can also listen, do, I think they also have a streaming thing, but they, they're much more equitable in terms of actually paying the people who create the mm -hmm. music. Okay. That's good to know. That's good to know. Cause that is good to know. sometimes, you know, we don't always know where the best place is place to, to get, get music yeah. online. Like what, what benefits yeah. the artists the most? At this time, for me, it's Bandcamp. There, there are other, probably other things that are less well-known, but. I don't know them all. <laughs> That's why they're <laughs> not well-known. And Dave, what uh, of the various things you're doing, we obviously know about the West End Phoenix, what can people pick up next of yours? Well, 
Uh, no, I think you, people should go subscribe to the Western Phoenix. That would probably be the best way. Of, okay. Because when you're supporting that paper, you're not just supporting what I, I do, but you're supporting all of the writers, illustrators, and photographers who live where you live. You know, and I always say people move to cool areas because artists make them cool because they do interesting things. And we have to, yeah. by nourishing artists, we have to keep them in our neighborhood so these places continue to be awesome. That's probably the, the best way of, of doing it. And support your independent bookstore if you can as well. Yeah. You're such a champion of others, Dave, at all times. I will say, people, if you're good, before you go out there to a live show, I know we're all nervous, pick up Around the World in 57 and a Half Gigs by Dave Bedini. Sure. Get a little palate cleanser for what that's like and know, what it, know that rock and roll is alive in Finland in a different way. Thank you so much for joining us today and for being part of the Canadian star system. Even though Dave Bedini says, and I quote, it's unnecessary. <laughs> if you enjoyed this chat, be sure to listen to our past episodes with Hawksley Workman and Sarah Sleen, who also appeared on Dave Bedini's News Aid fundraiser for the West End Phoenix, available for free wherever you get your podcasts. The Canadian Star System is produced by Diana Francis and Steve Patterson in association with the Apostrophe Podcast Network. If you'd like more information on today's guests, please visit our website at canadianstarsystem.ca where you can find links to their work and their socials. Speaking of socials, you can follow at Canadian Star Pod and at Apostrophe Pod on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Our editor and sound technician is Donovan Deschner of Fracture Ephemer Productions. Music by Mark Camilleri of Imagine Sound Studios. Special thanks to Terry O'Reilly, Debbie O'Reilly, Callie O'Reilly, and Nancy Patterson, who is an honorary O'Reilly. And since you're doing such a good job of listening to the credits, there's a bonus clip for you after Steve sings it out. So give it up to these canucks Because our self-promotion sucks And if they all went away We sure wouldn't miss them do not go. The Canadian Star System Oh no, <laughs> Steve, what have you done? I know, you have to Google okay. it, Dave. I just thought I'd try to sneak okay. it in. I thought I'd sneak it in. It's uh, Megan the Stallion. My uh, producer Donovan's never okay. going to let that one in anymore. <laughs> Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more and is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.